Hey there. Welcome to Coffee with the Docs. We are a holistic lifestyle podcast where we give integrative solutions and bring brilliant experts to help you thrive. Mind, body, and spirit. We are doctors Nicole Huffman and Abby Kramer, and we're so happy you're here. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Coffee with the Docs. Today we have an amazing and super informative episode with Dr. Steve Cabobianco. He is the medical director and helps develop the curriculum for Rock Tapes uh, training for their professionals. And if you guys follow him on social media, his tag on Instagram is Fascia Doc. And so he loves the fascia. And I've learned throughout my career how important the fascia is. And it's like we're constantly learning more and more about it. And so I really wanted to bring that to you guys because it's a different aspect of our physical health that needs to be addressed and is different than just talking about muscles and joints and and that typical stuff. Um, One thing I love that he talks about, you guys will learn all about in the episode, but he talks about a lot about the acupuncture meridian system and a lot of the meridians in acupuncture actually kind of follow the fascial lines of the body where this, um, tissue is. And it's like, basically people now are theorizing that the acupuncture meridians and those acupuncture points, what's happening when stimulated is it's hitting the fascia and then it like travels across the entire body. The chart, the electrical impulse from the acupuncture needle travels the entire body from one needle through the fascial network. It's like so cool. I mean, I liked Honestly, like I found fascia super interesting, especially since med school when we were learning all about like the fascial like planes and like how, like that's how like the shoulder is connected, like the right shoulder would be connected to like the left hip to like the, like the slings. Right. Mm -hmm. And like Mm -hmm. all, so I definitely think it's a really unique and different outlook on how we relate and experience pain just Mm -hmm. because I mean, Fascia, he described kind of as like a huge spider web of our body, which makes a ton of sense because it is this like, we, you know, it kind of like encapsulates everything, including our organ systems, which is kind of mind blowing when he said that, because I forgot. It's like, yeah, of right. course the fascia, if it's like too tight and it's around like your stomach or like your intestines mm-hmm. or your liver, like how that's going to impact the function of those organ systems. I mean, it's just like a whole different network to think about. And shows so much how the whole body's connected, right? Which like we know, but it just brings it to light in a totally different way. Like you're saying, you know, I see patients in the office all the time that like they've got a left ankle problem and you look at the right wrist and it like fixes it. It's just so cool. So I love how he also talks about like these fascial people that do all these research talk about how the body, who said this, the body is one muscle. Whoa. And what divides it is the fascia. Whoa. That's what makes it individual muscles. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Isn't that mind-blowing? I mean, I don't actually even know if he talked about this, but something that I learned from fascia <laughs> in general, I'm just like going off and I'm like, Here I don't are. even know if he yeah. talked about this. But I learned how like, if you think about it, I'm sure he obviously knows all about it. He knows way more than me on the subject. But 
if you think about a scar, it like breaks Mm -hmm. the fascia right there. And so, I mean, I learned from like an ozone seminar, how like you can actually inject the scar with ozone to free up that fascia because scars are going to impact that, like those meridians from acupuncture Mm -hmm. and they can Mm -hmm. cause all these issues that you would have never thought of. Like this, this one guy at the seminar had like a scar on his back and he had like migraines all the time. And after they injected the scar with ozone, his migraine stopped what? just because the scar it's was amazing. on like certain meridians that affected. Right. I mean, it's just wild. Yeah. It's so crazy so, how like interconnected the body is. Yes. And so he gives you guys a lot of practical tips too. Like it can get sciencey. So just stick with it. Trust me. It's worth Very it. Very sciencey. But he gives a lot of practical tips on how to address your own fascial health. He talks about his own daily routine of what he does with like a foam roller and stuff like that to help get his fascial moving. And it's in a really digestible way. Like it's, it's not too much for anyone to do. And I've just seen addressing fascia from a physical, but also like a nutritional standpoint to be game changing for people. So if you have pain and you've tried a lot of different things, this is definitely something to look into. And he talks about how much um, CBD specifically when good quality and the right stuff can affect the fascia and pain. Totally. Well, that whole endocannabinoid system, which honestly I think we're even still like learning so much about, but that system controls so many things like your hormones. It can relax you. I mean, there's so many different parts of it, but the endocannabinoid system is also can, can affect the fascia, which I didn't know, which is really cool. And so, you know, we love CBD. Our favorite company is one of our partners, which is Frog Song Farms. And you actually can use our code, Coffee with the Docs, but it's going to be abbreviated. So CWTD to get a discount at checkout. But it's a good quality CBD. We've had the CEO on our podcast if you're interested. You like once you hear about all the different like things that go into CBD, you just, you want to get a clean one and you want to get his, like after you listen to him talk. (laughs) Totally. And it does, it has an effect on the endocannabinoid system and therefore is going to affect your fascia, which is just like another level of amazing. And you can understand then why it can affect pain in such a dramatic way. Mm -hmm. Totally. All right. Well, we hope you guys enjoy this episode. And as always, if you love us in the pod, please leave us a five-star review on Apple All right, everyone. Welcome back to Coffee with the Docs. Today, I am so excited to bring you the brilliant Dr. Steve Capobianco, aka oh, Fascia Doc. I love the start. The brilliant. Puts yeah. a little bit of pressure, doesn't it? <laughs> no, you got it. Well, so Steve, to start out, um, actually, I'm going to have you just do a quick intro of yourself, who you are, what you do, before we really delve in. Sure. Um, first and foremost, thanks for having me. Uh, I've known you for quite some time now, and we can revel in our previous stories that we've experienced, but uh, we won't do that for this call. But um, I'm, I'm just thankful to be on and thankful to have this conversation. I, it's basically what I speak. It's been... Um, 20 years that I've been a chiropractor, just under 19 years that I've been a chiropractor. 
Mm-hmm. And um, before that, I was I was just a lost movement pro, if you want to call it that. I was uh, I had a, a bachelor's in kinesiology. I had a master's in adapted kinesiology, working with people with movement disorders. And and even though I was really interested in movement, I just didn't know where this was going to take me. I, you know, it was going the route of getting my PhD in research, which I'm, I'm still not against, and I'm in, in my close to my fifties. Um, but but I just I, I was lost. And during my master's, I I met a chiropractor that was manipulating uh, the cervical spine of some of the subjects in the study group that I was researching. And so I'd like to share this with you because I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I had been treated. I'd say the majority of my life um, by a chiropractor and you know, multiple different sports, but I never had the aha moment that I witnessed seeing this chiropractor do what he did. So I was working with these patients, these subjects, um, young adolescent patients uh, with cerebr- cerebral palsy. So uh, mm-hmm. I had a lot of tonic flexure, you know, muscle spasms on typically one side of the body that limited their ability to walk and move around and function mm-hmm. overall. And so my, my study was looking at uh, thermal therapies using different um, stimuli to help reduce this, this spastic response mm-hmm. and then allowing them, then taking them through some movement and seeing if the combination of the thermal therapy with the movement therapy gave them more functional uh, improvements over time, of right. which it did. But it took me generally about 30 minutes or so to get these uh, individuals from a tonic flex position, you know, the spastic position to one where we could take them through range of motion. And this chiropractor was working with three of the uh, cohort, the group that I was working with, and he was manipulating them upper cervical. So just one adjustment on the upper cervical spine and, uh, within seconds and now i just told you it took me about 30 to 40 minutes to get them out of that position within seconds of that adjustment they would have that relaxation response and i was like what just happened yeah and (laughs) so cool and so i got to sit down with him and he gave me more insight of you know the neurology of the of the intervention and what he thought was happening I, i loved his candor and his his ability to speak to what he didn't know at the same time and and in that conversation, I was like, this is what I need to do because yeah. by no means do I ever know. And so you said brilliant, which I do. I love the, the descriptor, but I definitely don't consider myself the brilliant guru of anything. I just, I'm just a curious chiropractor now yeah. that loves to gather information. And I think this is what you're speaking to within your audience is just, we're all searching for that, right? Is yep. what is the you know, the component or combination of components that gets me to, to create balance, to create, um, you know, improve performance, improve lifespan, you know, all those things that we're looking for. So that's my story. Nice. I love it. I think so many people in our field start out in kind of that like lost movement pro space. Right. I think, you know, I was the same way too. I was a trainer and I was like, I need to learn more, you know, to like better help people. And, so you continue down the rabbit holes of more education. I think that's great. And I think, I think uh, I'm grateful that you're in as a colleague of mine. So thank you for doing that. Oh, you're welcome. 
All right. So first, we always start out every episode with two fun questions because our name is Coffee with the Docs. What is your current drink of choice? Drink of choice. And um, it's relatively new. So don't quote me on, you know, I I have to, even anything that I put in my body, I'll definitely research. I'm one of those guys. And so I've been doing matcha tea for the last six, six or eight weeks. Yeah. Um, and for those that aren't familiar, so I've, I've been a coffee drinker, standard coffee drinker. I'm Canadian born and raised. I've been living here for 20 years. So I was, I was basically uh, raised with Tim Hortons, which is just yeah. not, you know, if you have any Canadian viewers, they might not appreciate this, but it's not great coffee. Right. So I'm, I've is never, that like the Folgers of America? <laughs> well, Folgers of I, I guess it would, it would no. It, it, that would be a slap in the face. They they would think it would be more similar to our Starbucks. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. By no by no by no means um, is it anywhere near to the quality of Starbucks, and that's saying something, right? So, um, so what I'm saying is that I I just never felt I had a I wasn't a coffee connoisseur. Yeah. But this matcha uh, kick that I've been on, I've been di- deep diving in it, and those that just don't know. This, this Japanese uh, tea um, is probably one of the most potent antioxidants that you can get when it comes to green teas. It's, uh-huh. a, it's in the family of green teas. And it's about 100 and 120, 130 times more potent in respect to the, the catechins that it has within it, the antioxidants that have been shown to be helpful for you know, cancer, uh, liver function, um, uh, heart disease, uh, gosh, there's more. It, it ha- the effects it has on your metabolism are just fascinating. Right. And the experience is so cool too, is that if you've ever had a true matcha tea, they generally will blend it to get that frothy feel to yes. it. And it smells and the texture of it. And just, you know, for, for me being a dumb jock that, you know, beat people up for a living for many right. years, me telling my old buddies that I'm drinking matcha right. tea. This is very frothy. fancy. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Do you do the That's whole the, brush thing and blend it? Yeah, yes. Wow, look not at every you. not every day. Not not every day. I'm gonna I'm gonna come. Don't get too carried away. I don't want to get too carried <laughs> away, right? Half the time I'm doing just a you know I'm just using typical uh, organic tea bags and and doing yeah. it that way. But a lot yeah. of times I'm grinding those leaves down nice. um, and doing the whole process. So it's just more time consuming. That's all. Yeah, for sure. It's great though. Sometimes it's like a little ritual. It's like your afternoon. That's right. You do to kind of reset. Yeah. And the the other thing about speaking, speaking of that, if I had a cup of coffee later in the afternoon, you know, any caffeine later in the afternoon definitely would compromise my sleep. And one thing that they're finding with matcha is that it has a high uh, level of L-theanine which actually counteracts the caffeinated, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, component Mm -hmm. of the drink. So it, it creates, the experience where you get the caffeine, but you don't get the rush. It's a, it's a slow release, which I really like it. Yeah. That's super great. And so also, do you have a recent biohack you've been trying? Yeah. um, The recent biohack is just consistency within my formal meditation. Um, And, you know, we're all, this is being delivered during, you know, a world pandemic. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got different stressors, but now we've added this pandemic on top of it. And I just thought it would be a good time now that we've all been confined to our homes. 
I just, there's no excuse for me to kind of find time to be able to sit. And uh, I've, I've always applied mindfulness into like my daily walks with my dog and when I'm working out or, you know, in the pool. Um, but I just never formally sat and actually committed to uh, a meditative process. And I've been doing so for the last two, two and a half months and really challenging. But as of late, uh, I'm really enjoying it and I'm, 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 gaining some of the benefits that I've read about for decades. Right. So that's my biohack. It's nothing new, but I mean, awesome. people talk about it. They don't necessarily commit to it. And yes. I'm just committing five minutes immediately waking up in the morning. And it's been, it's been earth shattering. It's phenomenal. I love that. And you know, the research actually shows it's far more beneficial to do even two minutes of meditation, but every right. single day. Than like right. the weekend warrior that's like, I'll do a two hour whatever on Sunday. Right. Uh, I spoke to, um, I don't know how I found him, just, you know, doing your deep dive. And I found this guy, I just liked the language that he was using in respect to guiding your meditative practice. Mm -hmm. And there's lots, you know, dude, you can find 20 different apps on your phone. Right. right. But I just, I just liked the words he chose. And, the, and I, I guess being more of an analytical, analytical thinker, I just needed you know, how, what's the process? Give me, give me the mm -hmm. plan. And totally. rather than just sitting and, and, and yes. just sitting. And so he, he started going through the cycle of start with breath, makes sense. Um, start to tune into the sounds close, mm -hmm. medium and far away. And so those are two things that I initially started with. And it was really easy for me to embrace that. And then he goes, then start to De dwell, delve into your body and where is your body you know the seat of your your bottom on your chair your you know, the bottom of your feet all these things I was able to do then the fourth component so it was breathe listen or you know yep. um, hearing what are you hearing what are you feeling yep. and then and then what are you experiencing was the last part which oh. I've been really diving into the last couple of weeks because I was only able to manage three things and if I did one more I just spill over and, and it almost created an, an, an anxious response versus right, right. you know something where I let that go so the, the when, I'm, when I talk about experience he, he he would say start thinking about emotional what's your emotional status to begin with is it positive negative or neutral and then start to break that out as like what's feeding that and so what I would always think of meditation was to separate yourself from your thought. But his viewpoint is embrace the thought to begin mm -hmm. with, analyze it, and then just let it go. And yep. I've been almost literally picking up the thought and pushing it to the side until something else comes in. Um, and that, that whole experience has been really valuable. Mm -hmm. And I just, uh, just cause I committed to it. So long winded biohack. I love that. I love that school of thought with meditation of more, it's not turning off your thoughts. It's like being an observer of your thoughts. Yeah. And yeah. like, you don't have that, to judge it. Cause I think that's a big misnomer with meditation is that you have to shut all your thoughts off and be in like nothing. Right. It's like, that's impossible. That's not our nature. So right. I, I love that. Yeah. It was very helpful. And it, that's sometimes that's all it takes is finding the individual. And I'm hoping to be that with someone even on that's listening to this is that, Sometimes it's just that one variation of, of how you approach something could be what gets you to actually do it. And for me, yes. it was just having the organization of those four things, which eventually I'm assuming will start to all blend into one. But right sure. now I needed to compartmentalize it to be able to give myself 
the accuracy to be able to say, yeah. I feel like I'm moving forward. So for sure, it's been a good exercise. That's great. Now you kind of told us like your earlier story. I'd love well, for you to share with our viewers. How did you get more into like now you're with rock tape? You've been like yeah. your fascia doc on Instagram. How did you delve into more that world versus just like a movement pro or traditional Cairo? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so yeah, that's going into my latter part of my career. So let's, I was 10 years into practice. I, as a being uh, that type of manual therapist that I am, I, I use multiple different tools to be able to help my patients move and feel better. And one of those was using Kinesio tape, uh, a brand of elastic therapeutic tape that most people in our industry, the, the clinical industry, recognize as really the grandfather of stretchy tape. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was using it uh, to help with, you know, sports injuries of the patients that I was working with at a time. And then I had an appointment with an individual that wanted to speak to me about tape. And so we met at my office. He showed up with a box of tape. I should probably have something with me, but it, uh, he goes, I think I made a better widget and I'd like you to test this product, uh, of which I did because I was having difficulty at the time of having the, the brand of tape that I was using actually stick to the body. Yeah. Um, so he came and said, you know, he, he basically pitched me and I bit and, and I loved the product. And so it's basically just a, another form of kinesiology tape, this stretchy, colorful tape you see on everyone and anyone. And, and I brought them back and I said, I have an idea that I'd like to share with you that's, that's using this product in a different way um, to be able to help our patients. And what I meant by that was, is that I had been practicing for 10 years to this point, and I was trained, as you were, as I guess a manual mechanic, a human mechanic, where we learn the body by dissecting it part by part, of which is super valuable. But that's, that was our level of learning, that we know where the quadricep is, and we know what the action is, and we know what the innervation is. Uh, but we, by learning in that fashion of learning the parts to understand the whole, most people are, are viewing the body like we do a car engine that it has multiple parts that if something goes awry, we just fix that part. Yeah. And I just, I, I didn't resonate with that line of thinking because I was working with individuals applying the knowledge that I was given with this mechanistic approach. And it just wasn't giving me the outcomes that I was expecting, nor what they were expecting. So I started researching, you know, different models of thinking. Um, and one of them had to do with this network of tissue called fascia, which I could dive in deeper. And, um, and this network of, of tissue that covers all of our muscles, all the parts of our body, every organ in our body, had a significant role in pain and movement. And so I started diving into that. And I started recognizing that we could we could still apply the same interventions, the manipulative therapy I do as a chiropractor, the soft tissue work, the stretching, the movement, the taping, mm -hmm. but now taking, taking a viewpoint as the body as a whole, and then, then breaking it down into its pieces if necessary. And I was getting better outcomes. So how I joined rock tape was, was at its infancy as probably considered one of its founders now is that I brought, 
this new model of thinking using fascia as a, as a guide to navigate the human body. And, and Greg came with the product and we amalgamated the two and we created what we call rock tape now. Um, so that's how, that's how I got involved. I, I guess I had a title of the um, director of education and medical director, but really those are just, you know, titles that mean nothing. It just, I created the education. He had a great mind in respect to product and we created a company over the last 10 years that, that expanded on the tools that we could use with this fascial, you know, viewpoint yep. of thinking. Well, it sounds so meant to be like that. He happened to go to your office. I mean, right, that's pretty right. amazing. It, it was a small town. So I'm going to give him credit that there weren't many cars that he could have gone to. Now I, you know, I, I wanted to believe that he sourced me and he right, found right. that I was the brilliant guy yes. taping, but I just think it was just a lucky opportunity. And it was like Google, take me to the closest Cairo. There you are. I don't think, I don't think he even used Google. I'm pretty sure it was a white pages or something, but right. anyways, uh, that's how, that's how it worked. Right. That's awesome though. Um, so can you dive a little bit deeper? I, I think a lot of our listeners might not really, I think fascia is kind of a buzzword people hear about with like stretching or they hear about foam rolling and yeah. stuff like that. But what really is our fascia? Yeah, that's a great question because I think what people are inundated with, and I guess I was too at, at the time is that fascia is the buzzword. You know, I do fascial release uh, mm -hmm. as a massage therapist and yep. that's what's sort of listed on their card. And, and so people are getting an idea that this fascia is important because when my massage therapist or when someone stretches my fascia, I feel better. So then people are interested, but there was, and there still is a lot of discrepancy of, of what fascia is, um, and how is it related to pain and, and inflammation and, and movement? Um, so ultimately, if I had to give, I had to give fascia uh, a definition, you know, Gray's Anatomy would, would basically define it as, uh, I, I wrote it down here once, and we'll see if I can find it, I can give you, I just, I've been, I'm always reading about fascia, but I thought it was interesting on the, the historical uh, definition of it was, and I got it right here, uh, masses of connective tissue large enough to be visible by the unaided eye. That was Gray's anatomy, which is like wow. you know, the Bible yeah. as it relates to anatomy. And so they basically just said, it's just a tissue that you can see with your naked eye. How vague is that? <laughs> um, they, they, went, they went on to amend that definition years later to something that they said, mainly consisting of wrappings around anatomical structures like muscles and organs. So Perfect. it came from something that you could just see yeah. <laughs> to something that wraps like, you know, a sausage wrap. It's right, just right. It's crazy. This network of tissue, and happy to share with you some of the resources that where people should look into to, mm -hmm. to dive in deeper on what the system is. But Tom Myers, which uh, is a massage therapist by trade, became you know, one of the leading him. experts. Well, I, I needed to because Tom, Tom uh, is given credit of really coining the idea of myofascial meridians, which I'd love to talk to you in more depth on. Mm -hmm. But he's really the one that wrote the book that many of us in the clinical world have read to kind of better understand this more global view of the body. And what Tom would call fascia, outside of seeing, just looking at it and saying that it wraps muscles, 
he calls it the biological fabric of our body. Um, he also calls it the 3D um, spider web of our body. And the way that I like to position it to people that are listening, not necessarily looking, but if you put on a sweater and uh, not the itchy kind that you can get in the middle of the winter that you just want to rip off, but just a nice comfortable sweater on your body, but it's got a dangling thread on it. Mm -hmm. I always tell people my fascial system is similar to this, is that that dangling thread, there's a tendency that you want to pull it out. But what happens when you pull on that thread? It, 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 it doesn't, right. It doesn't just have an effect on that local area where the thread was pulled. It has an effect on, you know, somewhere distant. And I, I believe this, this fascial system, this, this, this biological fabric that we live in, uh, starting off with your skin is basically the system that covers or encapsulates all of our organs. So we're learning about this fascial system is that it's not just a covering. It's not just, um, it, it's important isn't just to wrap our muscles. Um, Tom Myers would say that it is true. It wraps muscles. We don't have 600 muscles, 600 plus muscles. We actually have one muscle encapsulated in 600 little compartments. And it's the fascial system that creates all these compartments that we call muscles. Wow. And I really like that view because taking the, the sweater concept in mind is that I'm not focusing on the calf or the gastrocnemius with someone that's dealing with pain there. I'm dealing with this whole bag that has an effect on that area of the mm -hmm. body. So getting away of thinking of muscles and thinking of the system has been really helpful. And the fascial system is really my window in because we're learning that it, it encapsulates the body. Uh, that's one. Um, but this network is not only just a, a wrapping, but it's a communication system. It, it actually speaks to different parts of the brain, uh, which is critically important to think about. Uh, every movement that we make, uh, we know where our body's in space because we have these things called proprioceptors. They're small little keys that talk to your brain and tell you where your hand is in relationship to your shoulder. Mm -hmm. um, and we used to believe that these proprioceptors lived only in the joints. You and I learned that in our formal education. Right. That these, these mechanoreceptors were found when we mobilized a joint, we stimulated these receptors and it has this positive effect, of which is true. But what we've learned over the last 10 to 20 years that this network of fascia, this basic tissue or this basic covering of our body is highly innervated by these proprioceptors, multiple different types of them that, that inform your brain where you are in space, which is critically important to your ability to move and your experience of pain. Um, so think about this. And I, I kind of bring the example of if you, if you didn't know where your foot was in space, so you've been sitting on your couch and your foot goes to sleep mm -hmm. uh, and you stand up, what's the first sensation that a lot of people experience? Tingly, numb. Yeah, tingling. And sometimes that tingling can be uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Where that, that, that sensation is not only tingling, but it's actually pain, nociception yeah. or pain. Um, I, should, I should rephrase that. That's actually a misnomer. You sh I shouldn't be calling nociception pain. Nociception is a receptor that tells the brain that there's danger and your brain gives you the, the delivery right. of, the, of the sensation of pain. I just don't want, I want to be correct. The perception of pain. But, 
Right. So let, let me come back to that foot is that if I don't know where my foot is in space, how confident am I going to be in my next step? And the answer should be pretty low in confidence because I receive information from the proprioception of my foot to give me confidence that I could bear weight on it and take my right. next step. But if you can't feel it, your threat level goes up, your danger goes up, and it starts to create nociception, the stimulation of these receptors that tell the brain that there's danger, which leads to uh, increases in symptomology or pain. So this fascial system is so critically important because if it's healthy, and we can talk about what makes fascia healthy, if it's healthy, you have good proprioception and low nociception, meaning not much danger signals. But if your proprioception is compromised because of lack of movement, you, that goes down, your threat level goes up, which means nociception starts to fire and potentially experiencing more pain. So we know now that this fascial system is not only a covering, which is critically important, but it's also a communication system that actually can, can either improve or decrease, excuse me, it could increase or decrease painful experience. So that's the part that I think we should all be considering and the importance of it in respect to pain. Yeah. So then all the more important to keep your fascia healthy and moving and gliding properly, right? For health and longevity. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Yeah. So the, we, you talked about biohack. I think part of the biohack um, should be, you know, the fascia hygiene. How do, you, how do you maintain this network of tissue, which is ubiquitous, meaning it covers the entire body? How do you keep this thing moving well? How do you keep feeding it well? So, uh, so that I, if I had a list um, of things that I, I think are important when it comes to fascia, we mm -hmm. first have to understand that fascia has to be able to move. Just like your joints need to have the range of motion that they need, your muscles need to have the extensibility and the contraction ability to be able to move you. Your fascial system, this network of, of tissue overlying all these organs, needs to be able to glide and slide. And what, what we're learning is that we can improve the ability for tissues, these, this network of tissue to glide and slide multiple different ways. But first, to understand how it glides, you have to understand that the fascial system is affected just like a tendon or a muscle would be when exposed to undue stress. So if I stress my body excessively, my fascial system can be compromised just like my Achilles tendon could be compromised. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to consider that because uh, it, it can become, um, uh, it could become compromised is probably the best way I can say it where it doesn't slide as well. And a lot of people call that, um, it's, it's scar tissue or fibrosis. Um, but really what we're learning is that because it's layers of, of connective tissue, layers mm -hmm. of fascia, they have the ability to slide because they have a fluid layer in between them. And it's, it's comprised of a lot of cool stuff. Um, but what, what's important is that this fluid layer needs to be at a certain viscosity, more like, uh, more like water versus honey. And it's probably the best way that I can put it. And so when you have an injury trauma, when you have excess stress, like running too much on, on a singular run or, you know, injuring your shoulder, whatever the, the insult might be, 
that water, you know, network between those layers of fascia becomes more like a, a honey consistency, mm -hmm. which decreases the ability for that, that tissue, the fascia to slide and glide. And when you, when the tissue can't slide and glide, going back to what we talked about before, your proprioception becomes compromised. So mm -hmm. I don't know where that part of that body is in space. And so if my proprioception goes down, what my nociception is going to increase yep. because I get more irritation to these receptors that say, something's not right here. There's a danger that you need to be aware of. And your brain's so smart and it says, man, if there's danger, there's threat, I need to protect that area. So yep. one of the easiest ways to protect yourself as a human being is to, is to experience pain. Um, so I find that really fascinating that the ability for this network of tissue to slide and glide can actually increase or decrease your pain. So knowing that it's most likely a fluid system that you're, you're manipulating, not necessarily scar tissue where it's like obvious collagen fibers that are laying down, creating this Velcro effect, that it's a, it starts off as a fluid viscosity mm -hmm. issue. What we're learning is that we can manipulate this viscosity level, this, this level of fluid from water, from honey to water by uh, four or five different ways. So let me just share those with you. So if you um, created compression on a specific mm -hmm. area, so if I had it on my forearm and my tissues weren't gliding on my forearm, I can add a downward force on it. So we can say that could be massage, that could be self-myofascial release using a foam roller, that could be uh, an instrument that, that mm -hmm. we use in practice. You know, we think about adding compression to the area. It's pretty standard, right? So the, the general viewpoint of, of treating a trigger point um, is to add compression to the area and then we're seeing that it has a benefit effect. Um, so that's, that's one level number one, create compression. Level number two is to create shear. Mm -hmm. uh, and shear is basically not putting a downward force, but a, a sideways force to the tissue. And that been also been shown to stimulate the change in viscosity of those layers. Um, so think about that could be a general massage where they're moving their hands on your body and your skin is gliding with them right. or anything that's similar to that. Uh, the third way is just general movement and which, which applies that, that type of force internally by just moving your body in space. Here's, here's the caveat on the, on the movement component of improving your fascial glide is that most people move, um, I guess the best way to put it is in, in one plane. So we're, we're generally really conditioned to move forward and back. We're not really well conditioned to work side to side or in rotation. So we do what we do best, which is right. I'm going to move, but I'm going to move in this direction, which is forward and back. What we're learning because of this fascial system acting like a, a sleeve or a sweater, you want to move it in all directions. And that's the best way to manipulate the fascia to improve its glide, slide and glide. Yeah. So that's where practices variability. like yoga, Pilates, mm -hmm, the variability in your movement will really be of benefit to you to allow your body to experience all those planes of movement to get that tissue to slide and glide more accurately versus just avoiding that movement altogether. Awesome. I, love um, I missed, I got, that's three. So I got a couple more. Three. The other one is 
uh, hydration. So since it's a fluid-based layer, you need to be hydrated. Um, sure. And a lot of people, you know, I'm sure you share this with your audience and you share this with your patients, I know, is that you have to get adequate amounts of hydration. So it needs to be you know, clean you know, water, but the amount dosage matters. So what the general, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the general consensus is about half of your weight in ounces. And so I'm a 220 blah, 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 weight, you know, uh, pound man. So I'm taking in about 100, 110 yeah. ounces a day. Uh, it's quite a bit. And it's more than what people are used to. And I think people need to recognize that. Yeah. So you need minimally that to be able to hydrate your layers to allow them to slide and glide. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I tell patients. And if you're okay, more athletic or doing like a really strenuous workout, sweating a ton or whatever, you need more than that. But I think a lot of people yeah. don't realize it's not just like your organs or your digestive system that needs to be hydrated, like your joints, muscles, ligaments, tissues. Yeah. I explain to patients, I'm like, if you're dehydrated, like what does dehydrated muscle look like? It's beef jerky. Like, is that going to move well? You know, um, a lot of us yeah. just don't think of it that way. So we need, it's critical, right? So this, this network of fascia and you know, just about a year or two ago, there was this, and maybe some of your viewers even saw it, is that there's this newfound organ that we just discovered. Um, and they, they called it the interstitium, which is a great term. Um, and there's a bunch of, um, of uh, orthodox medical practitioners, uh, pathologists that were basically looking at this new tissue in a different way. And they identified that it looked like something that they've seen before which is an interstitium-like uh, cell structure. Mm -hmm. But basically what interstitium was, is, is, is the loose connective tissue or the superficial fascia of the body. The fascia just underneath the skin yep. is interstitium. And the cool thing about this, and this goes back to our conversation about hydration, this network is not just a, you know, a stacking of cells, so dense connective tissue stacked on top of each other. It's a uh, a fluid filled network that travels the entire body. And um, so Neil that Thies or Thies, I might have his name incorrect, but it's T-H-E-I-S, I believe. Mm -hmm. Neil Thies was one of the lead researchers, the PIs of this study. And he talks about this being a fluid filled network, this fascial system that they call interstitium, but we call fascia, um, is a fluid filled network, not just connective tissue, but it's connective tissue like a lattice work, but in between the lattice is fluid. Wow. And that fluid is uh, electrically charged. So hyaluron and proteoglycans are the constituents of this. There's more, you know, proteins and, and amino acids uh, within it, but they're, they're electrically charged. And so is the collagen that makes the lattice work. So, so basically, when we're looking at fascia, it's fluid collagen made up of fibroblasts. Mm -hmm. And the reason I tell you this is that we're learning through Thice's work and some of the subsequent work is that we can stimulate the collagen fibers of fascia uh, through movement and touch. Um, and they're finding that by putting a, a downwards or a lateral shear or a sideways shear to the tissue creates a stimulus to the collagen within the fascia that, that in, in initiates an electrical charge. And the cool thing is that electrical charge 
can actually travel along the electrically charged particles of the fluid right. network that can actually travel the body. So they're able, and I, I could even tell you, again, I've been researching this just recently. I want to share with you um, the paper. It doesn't necessarily matter. Um, so this, this researcher, I believe it's Yang, but, but basically has this new MRI technique that actually can measure uh, acoustic and electrical uh, uh, distortion. How far does that acoustic or electrical stimulus travel? Sure. And they were doing this with acupuncture points. If you, if you stimulated the skin or the yes. underlying skin with a, with a traditional acupuncture needle in a non-acupuncture point, so they call these the sham points, you put the needle in the skin, they were able to measure about a centimeter of acoustic um, distribution where the sound wave or the sure. electrical wave would travel. The interesting part was, is that if you put the needle in an acupuncture point, a traditional Chinese mm -hmm. meridian acupuncture point, yeah. it traveled the entire body. That acoustic what? message traveled uh, the entire body. So the oh. theory, so this is kind of, it's providing a theoretical construct for us to start to research more because yeah. Chinese medicine has been saying this for generations, for yeah. thousands of years, that there's this flow of chi, of yes. energy that travels from point to point. And we've, we've uh, diminished that by calling it nonsense because it's not quote unquote scientifically, mm -hmm. you know, um, sure. supported. And so we, we basically poo pooed chi flow because we don't understand it. Now we're starting to get some evidence to suggest that yes, you can manipulate this collagen network of fascia to be able to create this, this stimulus to this energy, quote unquote, energy flow that travels the body through the fluid. It's just, to me, I, I'm almost 50 and I get excited. Literally, my yeah. wife would say, something's wrong with you because my I get brain excited is exploding right read, now. That's amazing. Yeah, when I read papers like this, and I got to tell you one more. Um, if you want to take advantage of this fascial network, not only is it electrically charged, it's, it's, um, uh, it's, it has specific receptors called CB1 and CB2 receptors within it. Let me share with you. You got time? Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know how much time you got for this. We're good. This goes as long it. as it goes. Okay. You have the floor. Oh, okay. Good. Good. So the CB1, CB2. So these are cannabinoid receptors. And just as some of you are listening, the cannabinoid is a derivative of, of what we know as the cannabis plant. Mm -hmm. And what we're finding is that we, we generally thought, and we've known this since the 30s, best, best studied in the 60s, where we identified certain receptors that reside uh, on neural tissues, primarily the brain, called CB1 receptors. And CB2 receptors were found primarily on immune cells, um, you know, the spleen, the pancreas, and the immune-like functions, thymus. Uh, so they had these receptors. They found what stimulated these receptors were what we call endocannabinoids. Mm -hmm. And endocannabinoids, there's two, I don't think your listeners really need to know, but anandamide and 2-AG. These are your basically homegrown marijuana plants within us, which is the coolest thing, that we so formulate a cannabis-like uh, component naturally that, that that 
that link to these CB1 and CBD receptors, brain and the immune system, uh, and they actually help with pain and inflammation primarily. There's other functions, plenty of functions, but the two biggies are mm -hmm. when an, an anandamide or 2-AG endocannabinoids, our internal um, uh, weed tree, stimulate these receptors, brain and immune function, we get decreased pain and in, improved inflammation control. Amazing. Um, recently, uh, osteopaths did a study finding that we can actually, well, let me, let me step back. Um, Carla and Antonio Stecco, these are names that if you're interested in fascia, you should know these names. Mm -hmm. Stecco is S-T-E-C-C-O. And Antonio and Carla, brother, sister, are like the, um, they're the rock stars when it comes to fascia right now. They literally get standing ovations when they walk on stage. Um, and it's really weird yes. when it comes to a, you know, a research. All the nerds group. love them. Yeah. They, oh my gosh. I was in Berlin for the last fascial research Congress and Carla shows up and it's literally like I was at a Pink Floyd concert. It's like, yes. <laughs> yes. Hadn't even said a word yet. I love it. Yeah. Um, but what, what came out of her mouth was that not only do we know that we have CB1 receptors on the brain, but we have them also on our fascial system. So this, this, this network of receptors that can actually open up pain relieving agents to be able to manage pain and inflammation, we can actually stimulate through touch and movement. So this osteopathic group, and mind you, it was only 31 patients, but it's still a great start. Yeah. Was able to was able to demonstrate that through an osteopathic manipulation, similar to a chiropractic manipulation or adjustment, uh, that the there was a significant release of an endocannabinoid called anandamide, which I referred to earlier. So by manipulating the body with touch and moving the body, there's a spike in your internal marijuana plant that binds to the CB1 and CB2 receptors on your fascia now that we know they exist and is, and is tied to the pain relieving and swelling control function. Wow. Freaking amazing. That's insane. So, and, and so now we also, those that are interested, you know, the, the biohackers out there that are reading up on CBD, which is becoming, you know, a hot ticket item yeah. uh, lately, CBD is a phytocannabinoid, meaning it's, it's a cannabinoid pulled from plants. Um, and it's also considered an exocannabinoid. So the endo are the ones we make ourselves. Exo are the ones that we have to right. harvest. And we're harvesting them from the cannabis plant, in particular hemp. And hemp, because it's, it's legal due to the farm bill in 2018 in all 50 states. Right. So we can harvest these plants that are really helpful. We can pull the CBD, which is the phytocannabinoid, and we can ingest it, we can apply it, yeah. um, uh, and we can infuse it, and it will, it will help in, bind, in creating this effect on the CB1 receptors that actually help manage pain and inflammation. So people are taking them for those reasons, right. and this is the science behind it. But now we know that it potentially can have a direct effect on the ability for the fascia to do what it needs to do. That's so cool. Well, so that might be yeah. partially with like a topical <laughs> CBD. What's happening is it's affecting that fascial, the whole fascial system, Local. right? Local. Now the key, and I don't, I don't think we need to get into the weeds here, but the key when you're looking at topical is that you have to understand that uh, CBD is a, 
is a, is a fat soluble com, you know, component. So asking, you know, put any oil on your skin, the ability for it to absorb is going to be compromised because you're talking about oil and oil. So you definitely want to look at products that have um, some type of water solubility that allows it to be uh, absorbed into. So the, the, the term that you'll hear is pharmano, pharmacokinetics is can the, the, the agent, the component that you're yeah. ingesting or putting on your body, is it actually absorbed? Uh, and then we talk about bioavailability. In this case, with topical, we're not necessarily talking about bioavailability. We're just talking about absorption. Yeah. Uh, but anything you ingest, you definitely need to look at. If I ingest it, does it actually end up in For my sure. bloodstream to be able to stimulate these parts of my body? Um, I'm just I'm giving that as as insight because there's a lot of it's the wild wild west when it comes to yep. this product because it's it's not FDA uh, controlled. Uh, it's considered a supplement and you know, sometimes you don't even know if the product is actually in or the ingredients yeah, are in the sure. product because they're not regulated. So just be careful. Yeah. Quality is so important. You guys can check out one of our previous episodes. We have an episode all about that. So you can learn more. Oh, how about that? But now um, we know that it affects the fascia. That's amazing. So, okay. To review the modalities that can affect the fascia, I still don't think we have yeah. five. Compression, shear, movement, hydration. Oh, and then there was going to be, um, uh, you know, the tissue hygiene was going to be the, you know, using touch uh, was going to be the touch with movement. So the combination of touch and movement to be able Got to it. stimulate the ECS system, the endocannabinoid system. Got it. Perfect. Now I want to ask you quick, what would the difference be? Because I know a lot of our listeners probably have these or are thinking about purchasing them. Massage guns are like all the rage right now. Mm-hmm. Can you yeah. overdo that? What is the difference when you're adding compression and vibration? Yeah, it's a great question. So the it, the answer can get a little sciencey, but I'll, I'll try to kind of touch it on in a couple of points. I, I think when it comes to dosage overall, you know, everyone's going to have a different um, experience because of you know our tolerance to that type of stimulus. Meaning mm-hmm. that you know the 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 masochist that likes deep and you know and in hard, they're going to use the faster vibration with more yeah. pressure. Versus someone like me that you know drinks matcha tea and doesn't like you know, as as rough. I I'm going to do the lower because my body responds better. Yeah. But neuro, neurologically, there's some cool science that you can lean on is that what we're learning is that this fascial network, you know, not only is it a, you know, a covering and not only is it is a communication system that has the proprioceptors that, you know, tell us where we are in space and the nociceptors that mm-hmm. get, inform us of danger. They have these mechanoreceptors um, that, that actually can prepare the brain or the body to move. And mm-hmm. it can actually prepare the brain and the body to recover or relax. Mm-hmm. So the two receptors that I'm talking about are the paxinii. So these are receptors that when stimulated, and they're generally preferentially stimulated by very fast stimulus, mm-hmm. vibration, um, they, they fire. They fire to a certain part of the brain, and they really prepare the brain to move. They they start to improve, they start to open up the parts of the brain that are involved with motor control, decision-making, uh, muscle sequencing. Yep. So 
my my opinion is if you're going to use a tool like that understand what you're trying to accomplish and if i want to prepare my body to go out for a run i'm going to use the faster vibration without as much depth to be able to stimulate these receptors in the fascia mm -hmm. to tell the brain to get ready to move conversely if i'm coming back from my run and i want to maximize my recovery ability yep. if that's a word um, i'm going to take advantage of another receptor in the fascia called the Ruffinis. And these Ruffinis are interesting because when these are stimulated, they stimulate uh, a parasympathetic response, a rest and digest response that we need when our body is in recovery mode. And the cool thing is that you can stimulate these with deeper, slower stimulation. So it's like that feel good relaxation type of you know, massage. Um, so if I was going to use a vibration tool, I definitely would get on the lower end of the vibration spectrum. So whatever selection yeah. that you have, make it the least aggressive and make it a little bit deeper where you're getting the stimulus of those, of those preferential receptors to create that response you're looking yeah. for. That's such a helpful tip because I, I know even with my patients, so many of them are buying, um, massage guns, which is great. I'm all about having stuff at mm -hmm. home you can use to support yourself but like you're saying know what you're doing what goal you're trying to achieve at what time you're utilizing it agreed agreed that's great now talk to me about how the health the ability of tissue glide of our fascia can affect things outside of physical like are there connections to emotional well-being like how much energy you have other aspects of the body yeah, some of some. It's a great question. Some of this is being um, so observationally. Maybe I'll start with that. Is uh, they call it the lockdown syndrome, and when you're looking at someone that 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 is uh, experiencing depression, um, what posture do you generally see them in? Is something that you should be you know start to identify. Yeah. But I'm, most people know it's not sitting up nice and tall, chest high head forward, eyes looking, you know, into the yep. horizon, it's the opposite. It's typically closed down on the front, looking down. Uh, it's, it's, it's similar to someone that's trying to protect their vital organs. If you want to think about it, is that I would close everything down to protect my heart, protect my throat, uh, protect my organs from some type of saber tooth tiger right. attack or something. Right. But that, that posture, as, as you start to condition your fascial system, will eventually say, well, if my, if my position needs to be here, I'm gonna limit the amount of slide and glide that we have, so I'm gonna lock you down in this position so that, that water becomes, leans more towards the gel and into the honey, eventually locking our body in to, to allow us to maintain that posture with little to no energy expenditure. The, it's just fascinating to think about it. The brain is one greedy organ, meaning that it, it basically requires about 25% of the calories that we consume, it requires to function. So your brain's always saying, I need to conserve energy at all cost. So to be able to hold myself in this position of forward flex to neck flex, I have to contract muscles. And your, your body will only do that to a certain point saying, what's the, what's the reason I'm doing this and if I have to do this for a longer period of time, I'm going to lock you down with something that will keep you there without using any energy. And that's where fascia comes in. It will literally hold you in place. 
And so I, I think observationally, you need to identify that if someone presents that way and maybe through you know a history or a conversation with someone and you identify they're in that state, we could potentially start to counteract that positional component of their experience by giving them the ability to sit up straight. And then now, and I'm not trying to be a psychotherapist here, but I'm trying to say this position is not scary. You're, no one's no. going to take your throat out or no. go for your heart. And you can maintain this. So I'm, that's my observational, I guess, experiential approach. But again, I have to add the science to this is that uh, I, I think we've spoke, spoken of the majority of the receptors of this fascial system that talk to the brain, but there's one more receptor we haven't talked about. So this fascial system is not only stimulated by proprioceptors and nociceptors, but they have a certain type of receptor called, and in fascia they're called uh, interstitial receptors, but they've been kind of renamed for those that want to dive in deeper, C-tactile fibers. These are small, unmyelinated, slow-traveling receptors um, in the fascia that communicate um, light uh, touch. Mm. As light as, um, and you being a mom, you can get this, is that the, they've researched that the stimulation of these receptors was done from mother to infant. Uh, they've researched these fibers being stimulated when um, monkeys are grooming their uh, their sibling. Wow. Um, they've researched this in couples in in sensual touch that we can stimulate these receptors called in, uh, C tactile C tactile fibers in the fascia that that communicate to a part of the brain called uh, the insula. And so most of the other receptors travel to other parts of the brain. But this one, interesting enough, travels to a part of the brain called the insula and the amygdala, um, but starts off with the insula. The insula and the amygdala form this part of the brain called the limbic system, and the limbic system is involved with emotion. Mm -hmm. So the reason I have this long-winded approach to tell you that there's a way of tapping into the emotional department, if you will, of the yep. brain is through light... Um, uh, they call it light social touch, meaning that I'm not going in there to dig out your hip flexor, your psoas. I'm not dropping an elbow right. on your trap. I'm coming in with really light touch, even to the point where all I'm doing is deflecting the hair follicle. Sure. And so, and by stimulating these C tactile so fibers with say, that type of light touch. shape does that? Yeah, it does. It, um, it, it will deflect the hair follicle and it creates a lifting effect which stimulates these types of receptors, having an effect on that part of the brain. And now the brain has to kind of listen and say, okay, it was a, it was a soft touch, it's non-threatening. Mm -hmm. It starts to interpret that touch to an area that might be experiencing pain, chronic pain that's having an emotional influence on this person. And I'm, all I'm doing is I'm stimulating receptor and saying, it's safe. This strip of tape, this pink strip of tape is safe. It gives you uh, confidence that you can move it, which builds your emotional you know, competency, uh, which leads to you moving more effectively, which leads you to actually accomplish the tasks that you wanna do and actually do the things that you wanna do in your life. I, I don't wanna imply that a strip of tape or 
anyone's sensual touch is going to, you know, take someone out of a depressive state. Right. But it is a component that I think people are forgetting and, and not even understanding that we have the ability to attach touch or a therapy or a, a ritual to an emotional status yep. uh, and, and hopefully start to bridge those together so you can actually move and feel better. Yeah. So I just, I, I have some research to support that. I definitely have the research on the C tactile fibers on in respect to the insula, which is the hub for uh, emotional well-being, if you will. Sure. And so there, there is a, there is a tie there. We just need to learn more. That's so cool. I love that. I mean, I've absolutely seen that clinically as well with patients, like you're saying with posture, you know, and I will say it's, I'm sure a lot of movement professionals, body workers, et cetera, listening or people that have gone through pain. If I've seen, you've probably seen this clinically as well. If all of a sudden after a treatment or a few treatments or whatever, a patient can finally stand up straight without being in pain, it can be an emotional thing for them. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, so um, it's all connected. How many, yeah. I, I wonder how many people you had in your practice just literally crying from you know, a change in their position. And so I, I think it's, it's something that we need to embrace more and understand better. So then we can actually figure out how to, how to hone this skill because I didn't have that skill. Let's say my first five or seven years of my practice, I was a mechanic. I wasn't paying attention to my patient's emotional right. component of the intervention. And that's all I think about now and, and how I can better hone that skill. Um, so I just, I think it's a critical, the only evidence that I could provide is, is respect to the C tactile fibers as it relates to fascial manipulation, but that's a great start. Awesome. Ooh, I got a research study to send you. We'll talk about it later. Oh. Cause it's a whole nother rabbit right. hole. Oh, <laughs> okay. So I think all of our listeners are probably convinced that fascia is super important now, and it's something they need to address. We've talked about like different modalities, but are there specific, like simple daily practices people could go through just to promote fascial health? Yes. Um, I think you just need to take that list that I said earlier and put it into practice. And so the, the components, if we can remind um, the listeners to what we were talking about, and I, I want to make sure that I, I had them all. Um, I know I made a list of them before. Um, well, let's, let's talk about what you can put in. So what I can put into my fascial system, the things that I can do to it, I can add compression to it. So I, I generally will have some type of self myofascial foam rolling practice that I have um, on a daily basis. And so how I do it, and it's just like I told you with respect to my meditation practice, I like to compartmentalize um, you know, my practice. And so, you know, Mondays are my feet day. So I'm, I'm going from bottom to top. So Mondays, I use compression on the bottom of my feet. So regardless of what I'm doing that day, I'm going to roll the bottom of my foot from a lacrosse ball to a yoga tune-up ball to anything in between. And, um, so I want to manipulate through compression that area of the body. Tuesday is going to be my calf. Wednesday is going to be my thigh. And then I move up the body. Right. So it just helps me not get overwhelmed of saying, gosh, you know, I hurt here, which right. is my entire body. What right. should I roll out? And it's like, oh, gee, that's a lot of work. And so they're not going to do it. 
so I, I, I practice what I preach, which is I generally give a patient one or two things to do at best because I know that they're going to be compliant. Same thing goes to me. Mm-hmm. So that's my first thing. Second one is uh, movement. I, I combine movement and the lateral movement, uh, lateral or the, the sideways force to the yeah, tissue. Yeah. If you move your body in all three planes, you actually force the tissues to glide amongst each other. Your, your muscles are going one direction, your body's going the other direction, and you create that, that shearing effect. So I combine movement and shear together. And this is, this is like a, a form of a yoga practice. So I don't stretch a muscle. I stretch a movement or I, I elongate a movement or I challenge a movement, however you want to put it. So I have yoga-like postures or shapes that I, I assume. And again, I'll break those down into pieces. You know, we, day one is going to be more, mostly around my foot and ankle. So I'm going to roll. Are you our viewers going to be able to see this as well or just here? Here. Here, okay. So I'm going to move the foot from inwards to outwards. So I'm going to roll the foot backwards and forwards from side mm-hmm. to side. I'm going to roll to my toe and then roll back on my heel and I'm gonna rotate my ankle. So I'm giving my region of the body, the fascia that covers that region of the body, all three planes of movement. So that's gonna be combining the other two, um, the movement and shear. Then obviously I said hydrate. So I hydrate every day, more than 100 um, ounces a day for my body weight. Um, and I, I combine, um, a phytocannabinoid. I take a CBD product um, uh, every day and to be able to complement my endocannabinoid system that I generally will manipulate anyways when you use compression. I love so it. That, that's basically what I would recommend people to do is, is your fascial hygiene involves compression, movement in all three planes, hydration, and if you wanted to one, you know, add one more, you know, uh, super hack, is start to consider these exocannabinoids, these phytocannabinoids. There's more than just CBD. There's CBG, CBC, CBN. There's over a hundred other minor cannabinoids that people should know about. I think you've you've talked to some of your viewers about them. You know, look into it and make sure you're getting a reputable product. But I do believe that there's there's some benefit there that I think we're getting better understanding of. Yeah, I love that. Now, to wrap things up, I know we talked about um, Tom Meyer's work. Are there any other quick like resources you recommend to people if they want to learn more about fascia? Oh, about fascia, for sure. They, they need to go. It's easy. Um, if you want to get where, where all of us hang out, and I'm just one of the you know, ones in the back of the room absorbing <laughs> from people like Tom Myers, uh, Carla, and Antonio Stecco. I already brought up their name. Uh, Gil Headley, um, Robert Schleip, you know, you're not going to be able to remember all these names or nor write them down. I would recommend doing one thing, going to a website, which is called the Fascia Research Society. Um, and the Fascia Research Society basically houses all of the information from the leaders in the research science uh, of fascia. So Fascia Research Society, look it up for, a, I, I think it's those that are really interested, it's, I think it's a hundred dollars a year and you get, uh, I mean, especially during this pandemic, they've been sending out a video a week of interviews that are just 
mind blowing of the new evidence we're learning about this network of tissue as it relates to pain and movement. So fascial research society, for sure. It's my awesome. one-stop shop. I need to get on that. What am I doing? Mm, that's All right. great. Signing up. Um, lastly, how can our listeners keep in touch, follow you, social media, et cetera? I'm inconsistent and I wish I was better. You're all um, over Instagram stories with your memes. I know. I mean, if you like, want to laugh. Someone, someone, <laughs> someone told me the other last week, they're like, I want to know where you get your memes. And I was like, I'm never telling you my source. Are you kidding no, me? It's pretty impressive. Um, I, I shit. I share memes that make me giggle. And I, yeah. um, I, my wife and I um, have a nightly uh, ritual of getting in our sauna. We have a sauna at our home. Yeah. So when we're in the sauna, we basically find these memes and we just <laughs> laugh and giggle. And it's part of the, the experience. But uh, so when anyone that I can make my wife giggle, then I post. Uh, so that you're just so now we know your memes are coming from the sauna. That's perfect. Pretty much. Pretty much. Don't right. put it's too good much visual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Or not. Um, but the um, the my, the way the best way to find me, I guess, on Instagram would be fascia doc D O C. So F A S C I A D O C fascia doc. Um, I, I, that's pretty much the only place that I really post on a regular basis or semi regular basis. My 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 feed is generally more fascial related. Yeah, and my stories are just fun. Um, so that's how I kind of combine it. Uh, I, you could find me, anyone that's a that's interested in continued professional continued education. If you want to know more about fascia, definitely go to the Fascia Research Society. Um, but I, I also I've created an education platform, as I said, and it's really dark targeted to um, clinical and movement pros. So if anyone's in that category and wants to learn more, uh, go to uh, functional movement training. Uh, FMT, um, uh, and you might want to add Rock Tape to that. I think I think that I, I don't even know what the website is. I apologize. I should know. If you go to RockTape.com, you should be able to go to our education, which is yeah, because then it has the you umbrella. go like medical pro and has all the education. There you there. go. There you go. Okay, so then maybe you do that. Let's go to <laughs> RockTape.com, and then find our education, which is called yes. functional movement training, which allows you to identify if you're one or the, or the other type of professional to see what type of education might be pertinent for you. Perfect. So that's how you find me. All right. Awesome. Well, Steve, thank you so much. I've learned so much. I love nerding out with you. It's the best. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm so always good to see your face and, and I'm happy to do this again. If there's any questions that people have and you wanted to do a panel, uh, I'd love to be part of it. So just keep me, oh, keep awesome. me in mind. That's a great idea. Will do. All right. Thanks so much, Steve. All right. Thank you. The statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the FDA. Information provided here and products recommended or sold on coffeewiththedocs.com and or our podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information provided by the site and or by this podcast is not a substitute for a face-to-face -face consultation with your physician and should not be construed as medical advice of any sort. 
By using any of this information or reading it, you are accepting responsibility for your own health and health decisions and expressly release Dr. Nicole Huffman and Dr. Abby Kramer and its partners and guests from any and all liability whatsoever, including that arising from negligence.